welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday service. Well, it's good morning from me and it's welcome from him. Hello everybody, church here, and hello to the wider church. And all of a sudden, I've got a soft spot for Singapore. We remember them too. Today's reading comes from Jonah, chapter 3. And in this reading, Jonah gets a second chance. What will he do? Will he drop the ball again? Let's find out. Jonah, chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it, the message I give to you. Jonah obeyed the word the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and the nobles, do not let any beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let the man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and know their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Good reading, Pete. Great, great introduction. You did my sermon for me. But, uh, but uh, you got the, the thrust of that. And uh, thank you for welcoming our international visitors here and everybody else too. Am I in a good spot here, Matt? Good. Okay, we're back to Jonah. Uh, we were going to whiz through it, and we are. We've done two chapters in three sermons, which is pretty good going, <laughs> but we're just going to stick with one and two today, okay? And you're going to get two sermons for the price of one. Right, two sermons from the same verses, okay? And that's as far as we're going. So we're doing verses one and two, and we literally are going to look at the same verses twice in two mini, mini sermons, if you like. Let me give you the background. Uh, so Jonah's living in Gath Heifer. I think you get him up there. There he is. He lives up there. He has a call. He goes all the way down to Joppa. Oh, I've wrong Ashdod, haven't I? That's what happens if you don't wear your glasses when you're doing your PowerPoints. Okay. <laughs> Seriously. I thought it looked like Joppa. He obviously isn't. It's Ashdod. Look, he went all the way down to Joppa uh, and then called to ship. Okay. When God spoke to him, he called to ship when he should have been going on camelback. He's heading across the Mediterranean. He's heading all the way over to Tarshish, which we believe, no one knows for certain, it's in Spain. 
somewhere en route, God catches up with him. We don't know, we don't, we're not sure exactly where. He's eventually thrown into the sea, and God provides a fish to swallow him before he dies. He may have died. Some theologians believe he did die. But sometime in that process, um, we don't know where the fish goes, but after a while, the fish spews him up on dry land. And it's not in Nineveh, because God has to tell him to go to Nineveh. He's somewhere. I mean, he could be in Spain. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was miles from home, because there's, there's something going on here. God is dealing with him. So he has to make his way back home. He gets back home, and that's where we pick up the story. He's back in Gath Hefer, and here's our heading. Our, our overall heading is God's mission heart. It's what we're looking at. It really sums up the book. But our subheading, the first of two God's purposes for us, though delayed, will come to pass. This is a more subtle message of the verses. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. He fled the first time. God caught up with him. He got swallowed. He got, he got spewed up some, on some land. But in all that process, God had to deal with him. It was a big thing for a prophet of God to flee like that. And so he dealt with him in, in, in the drowning experience he had. He was a near death, possible death experience. And he dealt with Jonah in the belly. And we said, didn't we, he didn't beat him up. God didn't take a rod to him. And, and we may be inclined to think that a prophet of that nature does something that serious. He ought to be beaten up by God. And yet we saw that God dealt with him graciously lovingly, winsomely, and brought him to repentance. But he hasn't finished with him. He hasn't finished with him. And so when, when, when we read these words, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And I can't think of... I mean, you've got your Bible open there. What's the immediate verse before 3.1? What's the last verse of 2, two please, Abron? The Lord ordered the fish to spit The Lord ordered the fish and he, he, he spat him up. Okay, and then the next verse we read, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. How much time do you think, what are you thinking? So God says to the fish, get him out of your belly, you know, they made him feel sick, okay? And the next verse is, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. How much time do you think has gone by, gone by there? Yeah, I mean, it seems like, doesn't it? It's the next verse. He probably got out, he was shaking himself up, and God came and says, okay, now this is what I want you to do. No, I don't think that happened, actually. I, I, in the context, I don't think that's what's happened. Because here's a guy, when, he, when his only purpose in life was to obey and serve God, he runs, God has to catch up with him, bring him to repentance, okay? God hasn't finished with this guy yet. I doubt very much that God spoke to him again for years, perhaps. You read the Bible, the Old Testament, and over and over again, you have, we have Abraham. God promises him he's going to have a son. A couple of chapters later, he has a son. Except it may have been a couple of chapters, but how many years was it? Roger told us last week. Does anyone remember? 25! 
Okay. The Bible sometimes can give the appearance of continuity over small periods of time, but sometimes we're dealing with vast sums of time. And yes, God told him to spew him up, and next he says God called him. I'm almost certain, friends, we know, we're now looking at many months, if not years, before the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Jonah had to understand something about the seriousness of what he'd done. Jonah had to complete the course. The reason he hadn't gone to Nineveh is because there was, he was no way ready for it. There was nothing within him that would allow him to do something so cringeworthy as to preach to the, to the national enemy of your country. And so what's changed? And so for, for God to speak to him again and for him to go... A lot's got to change in Jonah. Can you see the point? For him to go, he's got to change. And what do we know about change? What do we know about change? It takes time. It does. We can be sure over the months, maybe even years, God is working on him, humbling him, Bringing him to it. And think about repentances. And here's the thing. I know when we, when we do, you know, we talk about coming to faith, oh, I've repented. I had to hear once that someone says, oh, I've repented. I don't know if you're aware, we had a person leave this church because I once talked about repenting of your sins as a Christian. And recently, someone left the church over that because they no longer believed that repentance was necessary now that they were saved. Let me tell you, and I stand by it. Repentance is an ongoing discipline of a Christian's life. So Jonah may have repented. And I, I can tell you from experience, you can repent over a sin in one moment and when it happens, decades later, you feel the true gravity of that sin. And over this time now that God is dealing with Jonah, bringing him to repentance, making him ready, making him prepared, making him willing Making him so want to hear from God that when he does speak, what will he do? He'll go. There's no doubt some complacency here, isn't there? When God tells me to do something, I'll, know, I'll give this one a miss and I'll do the next thing he gives me to do. So what's God going to do? He can now wait before God gives him another task to do. And so, in all these ways, there's a delay, I want to suggest, between the end of two and the beginning of three, when God is preparing Jonah before he's ready for the next level. We, we bought the kids uh, one of these games console a couple of years ago, a retro one. Uh, and you can get all the games of the 80s. Remember the computer games of the 80s? Okay, I'm not old enough. You know, people told me about them. Okay, Lee told me all about them this morning, okay? Right, they're, you know, apparently they're great. But you know how they had to work? I was playing one of them with uh, Theo recently, Donkey Kong. Remember Donkey Kong? No? You're too old for Donkey Kong, aren't you? It was an 80s game. Okay? Uh, 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 someone told me it was an 80s game. And, and look, to get to level two, it's, it's a game, any, any computer game, to get to level two, what do you have to do? You've got to complete level one. You can't skip level one. And you can't, you can't do a cheat code on level one. Well, not normally. Okay? You have to complete level one. In Donkey Kong, you have to get past the first level. Then there's five steps. You have to walk to the second step, third, fourth, and on the fifth, you have to avoid the big donkey thing that's throwing barrels at you. 
And it's only when you've done that, okay, feels always, you know, these kids, you've got to watch kids, he can beat me on any computer game except Donkey Kong. Okay, I'm the only one who's completed level one again, Donkey Kong. Okay, and then I was on to level two. The Christian life is like that. We have to complete level one before we can move to level two. There are lessons to be learned where we are before God can move us on. There's maturity to be gained in the present task before we are given another one. There's experience to be gained in this thing before we can travel further. There's sanctification to be achieved in our present circumstances before God can trust us with something greater. Jonah would have learned that the hard way. And it's something that we have to learn. That before God moves us on, we have to complete the present course. But never, well, here's the thing about God. No matter how long it takes to do what he wants to do with us, he bears with us. He didn't give up on Jonah. He could have given up. He could have chosen a lot of, another prophet. But he finished the work with Jonah. Remember Peter? I mean, he had everything going for him, didn't he? And then, not once, but not twice, but three times, with anger and, and with some vehemency, denied he knows Jesus. But what did Jesus do? He gave him some time. He gave him some time to think about it, for the start. And then, puts him through that disciplinary process. After, after the catch of fish, he comes up to him and says to him, you know, Peter, do you love me? That was an insult to Peter. And in fact, Peter was insulted by the third time, wasn't he? Well, he expressed it by the third time. But what was Jesus doing now? Because he's effectively saying, wasn't he, Peter, if you love me, Peter... If you really love me, Peter, what would you not have done? If you really love me, Peter, you would not have, you know, that's why. And it's the disciplinary process, isn't it, Peter? Do you love me? Do you really love me? You love me? And it's no chance, it's not by chance, is it, that Peter denies Jesus how many times? Three times. And Jesus has to ask him how many times? Three times. Do you love me, Peter? You can be sure if he'd done it ten times, he'd be getting ten questions now. And so Peter is going through that process. And so here's the point for us. We cannot rush what God is doing with us. You know, when I was 16, I've got to say, 15 and a half, by 16, I was ready to go to Bible college and to be a pastor. I want to tell I want to tell my pastor that. He goes, I said, God has called me to be a pastor, preacher, send me to Bible college. I hadn't even completed my 16 to 18 level, uh, we call them A-levels out there. Okay, and he was like, okay, Montana. <laughs> you know, if God has really called you to save people, go and save them. And so we had to, and this is what I cut my teeth preaching. We used to go and preach in the open air. I wasn't going to let my pastor stop me. So we went and did it to a surprise. But look, when I was 16, I thought I was going to be a pastor. You know when it happened? You know how many years later it happened? 20? How old was I? I was 36 or 40. Yeah, time moves, moves. I was 36, yeah. 20, how many, that's 20 years later. 
<laughs> Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Seriously, I'm still learning now. We cannot rush God. He won't be rushed. And no matter how many times you ask him, he won't go any faster. With God, whatever he's doing with us has to have his fulfillment. The thing about God is, unlike us, we're forever changing our minds and we're deciding something's right or something's not right or we no longer need that or we do need it. God never makes those mistakes. And so when he puts us in a circumstance or when we find ourselves in a circumstance which is within his providence for us, we have to complete the course. God will never let us leap out of what he's doing with us. The Israelites learned that. You know when they were sent into exile into Babylon? All the, the prophets, all the, the, you know, the non-prophets were telling them, don't worry about it. We're going to be out of here in no time. Don't worry about it. it we'll soon be out of here. It took a Jeremiah to stand up and say these words to him. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams you, you encourage them to, uh, they encourage you to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Okay, this is how long you're going to be here. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, in Babylon, for Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my promises. Can you see what God was saying? You're not getting out of here, mate. Anytime soon. You can't rush him. And no matter what people were saying, we're expecting you can't. And in fact, God says this to them. Forget go. You're not getting out of here. You're staying here. I've sent you. You're staying here. Forget home. Instead, verse 5, this is what I want you to do. I want you to build houses. I want you to settle down. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to eat the produce. I want you to get your kids married. And so on. Can you see what he's saying? He said, the circumstance I've put you in now, oh, you can fight, but you're not getting out. So you better, you may as well, what do you say to your kids, you know, you know when you confront them to the room, and they want to get out, go, you're not leaving here till tomorrow morning, son, so you may as well settle down. Yeah, and think about what you've done. God works with us like that, friends. We have to accept, sometimes, that we're not going to go anywhere fast. God never goes anywhere fast. He's never been in a rush. And whatever he determines to do, no amount of prayer or fasting or whatever else you can do can change it. This is what Hebrews tells us. It's quoting from the old... How are we doing? And you have, and, and have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when it rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as sons for what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we've all had human fathers and he goes on and they disciplined us. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. 
Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Let me clarify something. I've been using this word discipline, and you may be sitting there thinking, well, I wonder if I'm in the discipline. Well, I can't be because I haven't done anything bad. What's wrong with that thinking? Because how, how are we reading discipline here? Because we're reading discipline, they ask penal, aren't we? I must have done something bad to be disciplined. How is discipline generally used by the scriptures? Teaching, training. It's general. This is God's general way of dealing. You don't sit there thinking, what sin have I done in order to just, you know, for God to make me sit and listen to him for half an hour? You know, no, you haven't done any sin, okay, for that. <laughs> You're a fool, you pay for it. <laughs> okay, no, it's because this is how God works in us. He's, as a normative, not because you've done anything wrong, as a normal occurrence, he's putting you through the process of doing these things in you because he loves you, he's training you, he, he, he's preparing you, he's working in you, and all because he loves you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, but only after God had got him ready. Hey, whatever it is that God has said to you that he's going to do, whatever it is that you believe God is going to do with you, whatever it is you're aspiring to, whatever it is that you want and are desperate to get on to, the delays don't mean that God is not doing that thing with you. The delays are no. You may not have got it wrong. Maybe that is God's word for you. And the delay isn't saying, oh, that was the wrong, throw that word out. No. It's a part of the process very often. The delays, the failings, the difficulties, the challenges, they're all a part of the process getting you ready and prepared so that you're ready for level two. Hey, let me tell you about a guy. It's incredible. You look at the number of failures this man has to have before he gets to level two, before he gets to where he knew God wanted him to be. Okay, this, let me tell you about him. He's from the 19th century, so we're talking about the 1800s. Okay, he failed in business in 1831. He was defeated for the legislature. He, he tried politics, his hand of politics, in 32. His sweetheart died in 35. He had a nervous breakdown in 36. He was defeated for Speaker of the House in 38. He was defeated for the Elector in 40. He was defeated for Congress, this is obviously America, in 43. He was defeated for the Congress again in 48. He was defeated for the Senate in 50. He was defeated for Vice Presidents presidency in 56 and for the Senate again in 58. He had failure after failure after failure and then finally in 1861 he was elected to the presidency. Who was he? Abraham Lincoln. You can see the picture, can't you? Okay, good on you, mate. Good on you. Okay? That man is regarded as the greatest president in the history of the US of A. And we would have asked our American contingency if they were here today to confirm that. And it took him failure after failure 
Okay. And diversions after diversions. To be ready. To be fit. For that. That's what God is doing with you. We're not quite ready for that next step. <coughs> he hasn't finished doing what he needs to do in you. We haven't learned the lessons to the full extent. If we went to that level now, you'd collapse in failure. If I had gone into the ministry when I was 16, it would have been 10 times worse than it was when I was at 36. But you try and tell a 16-year-old that. Seriously. Nobody wants to hear it. All you're thinking is, they're just holding me back. They're just holding me back. They're trying to stifle what God's doing with me. No one is stifling what God is doing with you. The process is necessary. You're never too old. And it's easy to think, hey, the years are going by. Maybe God's forgotten what he wants to do with me. Hey, when 70 years are completed, says Jesus, God to the Israelites, I'll come to you. You know when Jeremiah 29, 11 says, it counts here, I know, look, no matter how long it takes, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Hold on to that. He's holding course. His purposes are without repentance. Not even your sin can withhold God's purposes for your life. Peter will tell you that. You know, Peter, after his failing, didn't become a second-class, second-ranking leader of the church. What did he become? What do you think the popes? Who do you, who's the popes based on? Who's, who's the ancestry of the popes? Peter. The great failure! Even after his terrible sin. Jesus fulfilled his purpose for him. He became the leader. And he was only surpassed by the middle of Acts by who? Uh, actually, it was uh, the new one, Paul. He was only surpassed when Paul came on the scene in the middle of Acts. That's the first point. God's purposes for us, though delayed, will come to pass. I'm going to rewind the tape. I'm going to go back to verse 1. And we'll have a shorter Second point, the certainty and urgency of God's mission agenda. This, this point is more exegetical. It's more directly evident in the text. The, certainly, the certainty and urgency of God's mission agenda. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. There's a question. Why did, God, why did God speak to Jonah a second time? Forgetting what he's doing with Jonah, why did God speak to Jonah and commission him to go to Nineveh a second time? The Ninevites were still sinning? Yes, well, that's half the answer, Graham. They were sinning, no doubt. The Ninevites still needed God. The Ninevites still needed saving the Ninevites were still lost. God hadn't sent another prophet. They still needed his word. And contrary to what Jonah believed, which is that the only people on the face of the planet deserve to know God, are 
the Jews. So this is what he believed. This is what he should have believed, Genesis 12. He was in the reading this week, wasn't it, in the Bible marathon? And all peoples on earth. Who? It includes Aussies. Seriously, I know. All people on earth will be blessed through the seed of Abraham and the descendants of Abraham. You see, God cared about these people. This is something we have to get through our minds. You know, I, I don't like, here's something I'll tell you. I, can't, I don't like those bumper stickers that have them, I read sometimes in the back of people's cars. Uh, I haven't got any bumper sticker on my car, just in case I'm driving badly. <laughs> Not that I drive very badly very often, but just in case. Okay, the one that says, smile, Jesus loves you. Because it's so theologically, okay, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, unstable. Okay, it, it doesn't sum up the message of the Bible well. There's some truth to it. Okay, the love of God is a very complex thing. It really, if I, if I preach to you on the love of God, I'll need 10 sermons. It's probably one of the most complex phenomena in Scripture. You know, so to, to, to simplify it like that, it's not good. But I want to say this. God does care for people. And he does love them. And he loves these Ninevites. Listen to what he says in chapter 4. Nineveh has, this is God speaking, Nineveh to Jonah. Look, Jonah, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from their left. In other words, they don't even know they're doing wrong. Okay, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Can you see, what, can you see the implication? Uh, you know, and, you know, the reproof to, to Jonah. Look, there's 120,000 people there. Should I not care about them, Jonah? Shall we just let them burn in hell? And, on, and here's what he's saying. This is a rebuke. And unlike you, Jonah, they don't know what's right or wrong. He does, doesn't he? He says God's word. He goes, unlike you, they haven't got a clue. They don't even know it's wrong. No one's ever told them. And you are refusing to go. And look, this is a very small side point. But don't be mean to cows. Okay? Don't be mean to cows. They matter to God. Don't be mean to your animal. Okay? It matters to God. Not snakes, obviously, but cows. You know. <laughs> I don't think God cares about snakes. But he cares about cows. He cares about your dog and your cat and your goldfish. I think it's amazing that in the same breath that God says, I care about the Ninevites, he says, I care about the animals. It's lovely, isn't it? I mean, And it shows something of God's continued commitment to his creation, all of his creation. Hey, God really notices and cares. What did he say about the sparrows? I know Jesus used it to illustrate how much he cares about us, but what did he say about the sparrows? He knows. He sees. He even cares about flowers. I mean, who cares about flowers? <laughs> okay? He even... Oh, no, me too. Me too. Okay. And so, look, he cares. Where am I? Let me just find where I am. He cares. Uh, 
And he cares. I found what I am. Look, he cares. And I want to show you something of how globally minded God really is. Isaiah 49. This is why there's no Jew who has an excuse for being so narrow minded. Look at, look at Isaiah 49. These are all Old Testament, okay? Isaiah 49 6. I will make you Jews. What? A light to the Gentiles. Why did God speak to them first about who he is? So that they would become. A light to the Gentiles. Isaiah 49, again, see, I will beckon the Gentiles. And we, this is almost an anger, angerous act of God, isn't it? Saying, because you're not going to be light. Look what he says he'll do. I will beckon them. And I will lift up a banner to the peoples. And all this is because, here's the reality. You see, if there were multiple gods, then it wouldn't matter if Yahweh was interested in, say, the Indians, for example, because they would have their own god, wouldn't they? It wouldn't matter. But here's why it does matter that Yahweh is interested in all the earth, because Psalm 47, the great king, he is the great king over all the earth. And Genesis 18, he is the judge of all the earth. There is no other God. The reason we can't leave the Indians to sort it out for themselves is because, and I'm going to say this publicly on the airway, because those gods aren't real. That they're worshipping. That's why we can't leave them to it. Because there's only one God for everybody, no matter what color or ethnicity they are. And it, and it took Jesus to finally come and speak to a Jew in John and say to this leading Jewish scholar, Nicodemus, look, Nicodemus, God loves the world. That's what the incarnation is about. Hey. However theologically unsound those stickers may be small, Jesus loves you. Here's the truth. God loves the world. He cares. And that is the bedrock of the church. Let me tell you, let me ask you. I'll try it. What's the purpose of the church? And I'm giving, my, giving it away here, but what's your purpose? What's our purpose? What's our collective purpose? Yeah, it is. That is our collective purpose. It isn't to have great services or great sermons, if you can find them, or have great singing. That's a great thing. Thanks, musicians. Great facilities. Although we don't own this one, it's a great one. It's not about that. Our collective purpose is mission. That's what we're about. That's what we're together. That's what it's called us to do. It's put us all together and, you know, look how, what a mismatched group it is. You know, you've got, got, got a guy from over in the United Kingdom, got some over from the States. We even got a visitor from Singapore today. We've got someone who lives in Queensland. I know. And everywhere else. And guy wondering, what am I doing here? Okay? What are you doing here? We're all here because we're to collectively do missions. Let me tell you this. This is a brilliant quote. I read this when I was at Bible College. Okay. Uh, one of the missiology books and uh, studies that I did. Listen to this. It's not the church of God that has a mission. We don't have a mission. But the God of mission who has a church. Can you see what that says about our identity? It's not as though we're the church and we've got something to do. No. God wants to do mission and then creates a church to 
do it for him. We find, we, we find that the greatest meaning to what we are, who we are, what we are, what we're about. And the thing about mission is, size has no imp- imp- impact on it, does it? Because when Jesus started mission, how many people did he start with? Twelve, eleven. So it's no excuse, is it, that we're a small church. Our purpose, our identity, our breath, the reason we're in existence, the reason we're together, the reason that we exist, the reason that God continues to enable us to be a church is because he wants us to do this heartbeat, and his heartbeat is them. He cares about them. He loves them. And their dogs. It's why we exist. It's for them. And so, Christian, when mission isn't our heartbeat, when mission isn't driving us, when we don't eat, sleep, and there's another one, drink mission, we're lost. We've got lost. We've kind of got distracted by the wares, you know, the beach. I like the beach, you know, and the surfing. I like trying to do that. Yeah. And land, it's nice having somewhere to live. And a house, that would be nice. Uh, and, you know, these are all nice things. But, you know, I'll tell you something. and I, I don't know myself in this way, but it just works here. We didn't come to Australia because we wanted the, the sun, the surf, and the kangaroos. Although I like all those things, especially the sun. But because it was a mission opportunity. That's a Christian. And hey, I've got to make sure I don't lose all that amongst all the surf, sun, and everything else. Because it's very attractive and it's very diverting. When you're sitting there around the pool, sipping Bacardi and Coke like I was the other day at Ralph's, you know, I wasn't really. Uh, uh, I just Bacardi, I don't have any Coke. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, it can be very easy to get lost in that and think, oh, this is what life's about. It's not! It's not! It's not! Our lives aren't about the pool, or the beach, or the motorbike, or, what do I like, uh, koalas, okay, or Big Macs, or our little hobbies, doing storm drainage in our house. I mean, who would do that? But if you do, if you're stupid enough to do something like that, your life isn't all about that. It's about collectively doing mission to those people that matter. You know what Jesus is saying to us? He's saying, I care about the half a million people in the vicinity of North East Adelaide. I sit and think about them. I watch them. And I want you to go and tell them about me. You know, Jesus says, not in the, in, the, in the text, Greg, 
it's in John 17, he says, Father, the world does not know you. Somebody said, that's the saddest verse in all of the Bible. That they don't know him. They don't know how wonderful he is. How loving he is. How caring he is. How much he is watching over their lives. How much he does want to be a part of their lives. They don't know any of that. That's why they don't want him. They don't know what he's like. But who does? Who does? <laughs> we do. My time's up. My time's up. Oh, well, um, look, I'm going to skip everything else, Greg. That's it. Let, let me just read. Let me go to the uh, second verse. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Let me just, just one last thing I want to say to you. And with the Hebrew, I've got the Hebrew there. In English, there's only one word there. It says go. Okay? In Hebrew, it's two words. And it's, there's emphasis there. Arise, two words, and the second is go. God wasn't just saying to him, okay, Jonah, you're ready now, go. God was saying to him, get up, Jonah! Now! On your feet! Go! That's what he was saying. That's the emphasis. You've got to say, okay, I've done what I've got to do with you, okay, but now you better get out of here like lightning, son. Okay? There's some urgency. Do you know this week, a friend of ours in New South Wales, a pastor, that, that we've had a, a big association with, has, has, has been diagnosed with terminal illness with months to live. There's an urgency to our task. People are dying and go into a lost eternity by their bucket loads. By their bucket loads. There's some urgency here. There's some urgency. And the last thing. Moody. We'll have the picture, please, Greg. Moody, a fabulous evangelist, once was preaching in Chicago. And when he got to the end of his message, Instead of giving a challenge to people to respond to Jesus, he thought to himself, what I'll do, I'll wait till next Sunday, let them think about it this Sunday, and next Sunday I'll give them a challenge to respond, repent. Guess what happened that week? It was a great fire of Chicago. They weren't, most of that congregation weren't there the following Sunday. They were dead. And Moody vowed, Moody vowed, he would never again wait till next Sunday to challenge someone to come to faith. Hey, there's something really urgent about this task. May we grasp the fire of that truth. God's mission heart, let me pray. Lord, give us a rekindling of that fire that it may burn in our hearts this calling that we have to do mission in our community. Give us the resources, the 
experience and the expertise, the skill set and the success in reaching this community, starting with Hope Valley, this community for you. Show us, open our eyes, broaden our vision. Lord, show us how and kick us out, Lord, if that's what he requires, so that we go and do mission. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Living Word Bible Church. Teaching the Bible verse by verse.